Section three of Bullfinch's The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section three The Siege of Albracca. Part one. At the very time when Charlemagne was holding his plenary court and his great tournament, his kingdom was invaded by a mighty monarch, who was, moreover, so valiant and strong in battle that no one could stand against him. He was named Gradasso, and his kingdom was called Saracane. Now, as it often happens to the greatest and the richest to long for what they cannot have, and thus to lose what they already possess, this king could not rest content without Durindana, the sword of Orlando, and Bayard, the horse of Rinaldo. To obtain these he determined to war upon France, and for this purpose put in array a mighty army. He took his way through Spain, and after defeating Marsilius, the king of that country, in several battles, was rapidly advancing on France. Charlemagne, though Marsilius was a Saracen and had been his enemy, yet felt it needful to succor him in this extremity from a consideration of common danger, and, with the consent of his peers, dispatched Rinaldo with a strong body of soldiers against Gradasso. There was much fighting with doubtful results, and Gradasso was steadily advancing into France. But impatient to achieve his objects, he challenged Rinaldo to single combat, to be fought on foot, and upon these conditions. If Rinaldo conquered, Gradasso agreed to give up all his prisoners and return to his own country. But if Gradasso won the day, he was to have Bayard. The challenge was accepted, and would have been fought had it not been for the arts of Malagigi, who just then returned from Angelica's kingdom with set purpose to win Rinaldo to look with favor upon the fair princess, who was dying for love of him. Malagigi drew Rinaldo away from the army by putting on the semblance of Gradasso, and, after a short contest, pretending to fly before him, by which means Rinaldo was induced to follow him into a boat, in which he was borne away, and entangled in various adventures, as we have already related. The army, left under the command of Ricciardetto, Rinaldo's brother, was soon joined by Charlemagne and all his peerage, but experienced a disastrous rout, and the emperor and many of his paladins were taken prisoners. Gradasso, however, did not abuse his victory. He took Charles by the hand, seated him by his side, and told him he warred only for honor. He renounced all conquests on condition that the emperor should deliver to him Bayard and Durindana, both of them the property of his vassals, the former of which, as he maintained, was already forfeited to him by Rinaldo's failure to meet him as agreed. To these terms Charlemagne readily acceded. Bayard, after the departure of his master, had been taken in charge by Ricciardetto and sent back to Paris, where Astolfo was in command in the absence of Charlemagne. Astolfo received with great indignation the message dispatched for Bayard, and replied by a herald that he would not surrender the horse of his kinsman Rinaldo without a contest. 
If Gradasso wanted the steed, he might come and take him, and that he, Astolfo, was ready to meet him in the field. Gradasso was only amused at this answer, for Astolfo's fame as a successful warrior was not high, and Gradasso willingly renewed with him the bargain which he had made with Rinaldo. On these conditions the battle was fought. The enchanted lance in the hands of Astolfo performed a new wonder, and Gradasso, the terrible Gradasso, was unhorsed. He kept his word, set free his prisoners, and put his army on the march to return to his own country, renewing his oath, however, not to rest till he had taken from Rinaldo his horse and from Orlando his sword, or lost his life in the attempt. Charlemagne, full of gratitude to Astolfo, would have kept him near his person and loaded him with honors, but Astolfo preferred to seek Rinaldo with the view of restoring to him his horse, and departed from Paris with that design. Our story now returns to Orlando, whom we left fascinated with the sight of the sleeping beauty, who, however, escaped him while engaged in the combat with Pharaoh. Having long sought her in vain through the recesses of the wood, he resolved to follow her to her father's court. Leaving, therefore, the camp of Charlemagne, he travelled long in the direction of the east, making inquiry everywhere if perchance he might get tidings of the fugitive. After many adventures he arrived one day at a place where many roads crossed, and meeting there a courier he asked him for news. The courier replied that he had been dispatched by Angelica to solicit the aid of Sacripant, king of Circassia, in favor of her father Galafron, who was besieged in his city Albraca by Agrican, king of Tartary. This Agrican had been an unsuccessful suitor to the damsel, whom he now pursued with arms. Orlando thus learned that he was within a day's journey of Albraca, and feeling now secure of Angelica, he proceeded with all speed to her city. Thus journeying he arrived at a bridge, under which flowed a foaming river, here a damsel met him with a goblet, and informed him that it was the usage of this bridge to present the traveller with a cup. Orlando accepted the offered cup, and drank its contents. He had no sooner done so, than his brain reeled, and he became unconscious of the object of his journey, and of everything else. Under the influence of this fascination, he followed the damsel into a magnificent and marvellous palace. Here he found himself in company with many knights, unknown to him and to each other, though if it had not been for the cup of oblivion of which they all had partaken, they would have found themselves brothers in arms. Astolfo, proceeding on his way to seek Rinaldo, splendidly dressed and equipped as was his wont, arrived in Circassia, and found there a great army encamped under the command of Sacripant, the king of that country, who was leading it to the defence of Galafron, the father of Angelica. Sacripant, much struck by the appearance of Astolfo and his horse, accosted him courteously, and tried to enlist him in his service. But Astolfo, proud of his late victories, scornfully declined his offers, and pursued his way. King Sacripant was too much attracted by his appearance to part with him so easily, and having laid aside his kingly ornaments, 
set out in pursuit of him. Astolfo next day encountered on his way a stranger knight, named Sir Florismart, lord of the Sylvan Tower, one of the bravest and best of knights, having as his guide a damsel, young, fair, and virtuous, to whom he was tenderly attached, whose name was Flordelis. Astolfo, as he approached, defied the knight, bidding him yield the lady, or prepare to maintain his right by arms. Florismart accepted the contest, and the knights encountered. Florismart was unhorsed, and his steed fell dead, while Bayard sustained no injury by the shock. Florismart was so overwhelmed with despair at his own disgrace and the sight of the damsel's distress, that he drew his sword and was about to plunge it into his own bosom, but Astolfo held his hand, told him that he contended only for glory, and was contented to leave him the lady. While Florismart and Flordelis were vowing eternal gratitude, King Sacripant arrived, and coveting the damsel of the one champion as much as the horse and arms of the other, defied them to the joust. Astolfo met the challenger, whom he instantly overthrew, and presented his courser to Florismart, leaving the king to return to his army on foot. The friends pursued their route, and ere long Flordelis discovered, by signs which were known to her, that they were approaching the waters of oblivion, and advised them to turn back or to change their course. This the knights would not hear of, and, continuing their march, they soon arrived at the bridge where Orlando had been taken prisoner. The damsel of the bridge appeared as before with the enchanted cup, but Astolfo, forewarned, rejected it with scorn. She dashed it to the ground, and a fire blazed up which rendered the bridge unapproachable. At the same moment the two knights were assailed by sundry warriors, known and unknown, who, having no recollection of anything, joined blindly in defense of their prison house. Among these was Orlando, at sight of whom Astolfo, with all his confidence not daring to encounter him, turned and fled owing his escape to the strength and fleetness of Bayard. Florismart, meanwhile, overlaid by fearful odds, was compelled to yield to necessity and comply with the usage of the fairy. He drank of the cup and remained prisoner with the rest. Flordelis, deprived of her two friends, retired from the scene, and devoted herself to untiring efforts to effect her lover's deliverance. Astolfo pursued his way to Albraca, which Agrican was about to besiege. He was kindly welcomed by Angelica, and enrolled among her defenders. Impatient to distinguish himself, he one night sallied forth alone, arrived in Agrican's camp, and unhorsed his warriors right and left by means of the enchanted lance. But he was soon surrounded and overmatched, and made prisoner to Agrican. Relief was, however, at hand, for as the citizens and soldiers were one day leaning over their walls, they descried a cloud of dust, from which horsemen were seen to prick forth, as it rolled on towards the camp of the besiegers. This turned out to be the army of Sacripant, which immediately attacked that of Agrican, with the view of cutting a passage through his camp to the besieged city. But Agrican, mounted upon Bayard, taken from Astolfo, but not armed with the lance of gold, 
the virtues of which were unknown to him, performed wonders, and rallied his scattered troops, which had given way to the sudden and unexpected assault. Sacripant, on the other hand, encouraged his men by the most desperate acts of valor, having as an additional incentive to his courage the sight of Angelica, who showed herself upon the city walls. There she witnessed a single combat between the two leaders, Agrican and Sacripant. In this, at length, her defender appeared to be overmatched, when the Circassians broke the ring, and separated the combatants, who were borne asunder in the rush. Sacripant, severely wounded, profited by the confusion, and escaped into Albraca, where he was kindly received and carefully tended by Angelica. The battle continuing, the Circassians were at last put to flight, and, being intercepted between the enemy's lines and the town, sought for refuge under the walls. Angelica ordered the drawbridge to be let down, and the gates thrown open to the fugitives. With these, Agrican, not distinguished in the crowd, entered the place, driving both Circassians and Cathayans before him, and the portcullis being dropped, he was shut in. For a time the terror which he inspired put to flight all opposers, but when at last it came to be known that few or none of his followers had effected an entrance with him, the fugitives rallied and surrounded him on all sides. While he was thus apparently reduced to the last extremities, he was saved by the very circumstance which threatened him with destruction. The soldiers of Angelica, closing upon him from all sides, deserted their defences, and his own besieging army entered the city in a part where the wall was broken down. In this way was Agrican rescued, the city taken, and the inhabitants put to the sword. Angelica, however, with some of the knights who were her defenders, among whom was Sacripant, saved herself in the citadel, which was planted upon a rock. End of section 3